Romans chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Today I want to talk to you about what it means to really change. Some of you have recently made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you, 162, have taken a step of believer's baptism. Some of you, for the first time in your life, have come to the front at this altar or maybe in a small group, and with a heart of repentance, you have said, I no longer want to rule my life. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, but I also want him to be the Savior that cleanses, washes me, and makes me new. And some of you are starting brand new, but there's a question in your mind. You say in your mind, but pastor... What if I fall back? What if I continue to sin? What if after God has touched my life and I've chosen to follow him, the old friends come in and tempt me? The old habits I have in my life start dragging me back. I'm afraid that in three months from now, even though I've made a decision, I'm afraid that I'm going to be sucked back into the old lifestyle. And, and what if that happens? Well, this is what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 6. He's talking about how to break free from our old self and embrace our new self. And so he begins by addressing the question of this. What happens to our old self? And so today we're going to talk a little bit theology, but I want you to stick with me because I don't want that word theology to frighten you. Theology is merely the study of God. And if you understand God, you understand the ways of God. So what happens to the old self? Well, Paul addresses this question. He says, well, um, some people were saying... And we've been studying this over the last several weeks that you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation. That no matter how good you try to be, your good is not good enough. No matter how much you try to be like God, live up to the standards of God, that will never earn you your salvation. I hope you have that by now. I hope you're not trying to earn your salvation and your way into heaven through your good works. I hope you've stopped trying that because if you've heard anything, you need to know that you cannot do it by your good works. It is a gift of God that the only way that you can be made right with God is not by being good enough to be right with God, but it's by receiving the gift of forgiveness and transformation that comes by God through his washing and regeneration. Salvation is a gift. It's not something you can earn or pay for. How many of you know that? Are you grasping that? Because I, I can't preach that hard enough. So some people were saying, okay, well, if it's a gift... What shall we say then? Look, 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Some people were saying, well, if it's a gift, what if we just go on sinning then? Because if it's a gift that God gives us, people can just go on sinning and God's grace is going to keep covering their sin. And so should we go on sinning so that God's grace and his favor would be poured out in our lives? And Paul says, hold on, no, by no means. He explains, no, we don't go on sinning just because our good works don't earn us. We're not lost because of our good works. We're not, we don't earn it because of our good works. It's given to us by grace, but it doesn't mean we go on sinning. And Paul says, well, why don't we go on sinning? He says, because we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer since we died? And then he uses, well, he uses the illustration of baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I had a picture of one of our baptisms on Facebook, and I got a comment from someone in Spain, a friend of mine in Spain, and he said, wow, you guys have ugly baptistries in the U.S. <laughs> he said, when I saw your baptistries, I thought they were coffins. And I saw you bringing people out of those coffins, and I thought, wow, they're resurrecting the dead. <laughs> and I have to admit, they're not the prettiest things in the world. And I started thinking about it. You know, they do look a little bit like a coffin. And I thought, how appropriate. I mean, seriously, how appropriate is the fact that our baptistries look like coffins because that's the point of baptism. Now, that's exactly what Jesus, that's what Paul says. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And we therefore are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, and here I love this phrase, may live a new life. Some people say, well, pastor, there's new life in the Bible. Of course it is. So we too may live a new life. You see, what, what Paul is saying is that we identify with the cross of Jesus, that when you come to Christ, you die. You die to yourself. Yeah. When you come to Christ, I hope this doesn't fall, um, <laughs> you are identifying with the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, you are not on the cross itself, but your spirit, your old man is crucified with Jesus Christ and once you are crucified, you say, God, I died to my old self. I don't want to live my old self anymore. Then in baptism, we show that your old self is buried, just like Jesus died on the cross. And then they buried him. 
And that's why, by the way, some people say, well, pastor, I, I would rather be sprinkled. Could you just sprinkle me? Because I, you know, I don't, I don't really want to go all the way into the water. One lady last week said, pastor, I want to be the first to be baptized. I said, why? I have a real thing about getting in water that other people have been in. <laughs> so we honored her. You know, she got in there first. But someone says, Pastor, I don't want to be, I don't want, I don't want to be, go all the way under. I just want to be sprinkled. Let me tell you why we baptize by immersion. We baptize by immersion because baptism is a visual of what's happen, happening to us spiritually. When you're buried, we don't just like sprinkle dust on you. I mean, we bury you. I mean, I've never been to a, I haven't been to a burial service where they said, well, you know, we're just going to lay the body out here in the cemetery and here we're just going to throw a little, a little dirt on him and just kind of leave the body there and everybody walks away with a body and a little dust on him. No, no, that's not how we bury. When we bury, we bury all the way under, right? So immersion baptism is symbolic of we take a person all the way under because it symbolizes that they are buried. Their old self is dead. They died with Jesus Christ on the cross. They were buried like Jesus was buried. And listen, on the third day, what happened? Jesus rose from the grave. And he rose a new man. Oh, it was still a body, but it wasn't the body he was buried with. It was a physical body, but it was a body that could walk through walls. It was a body that, it was his glorified body. And so he was resurrected on the third day, a glorified body, just like you and I, when we come to Christ and we're buried in baptism and we're raised out of the waters of baptism, it's a sign that our old self is dead and that we've been resurrected to a new self in Jesus Christ to live a new life in Jesus. You see, the meaning of baptism, the word is immersed or covered over or submerged in. And that's why when we talk about being baptized, it means totally immersed. Or when the Bible talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's the idea of being immersed with the Spirit, covered over with the Spirit. Or in Mark chapter 10, verse 39, it talks about being baptized with suffering. It means we're totally immersed in suffering, a difficult period of time. And then he says in verse 5, follow with me. If we have been united with him in his death, because you cannot follow Jesus Christ and keep living. And every time when, you get, when someone gives their life to Christ, there is a death that occurs and a resurrection that follows. You see, many people have misunderstood the gospel and have thought that they can keep living their lives and they just add God to their lives to make their life better. That is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is when you come to Jesus, your old self dies so that your new self can be resurrected. That's why he says in verse five, if you have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Verse six, for we know that our old self, say it out loud, old self. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with. 
that we should no longer live as slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been free from sin. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Some of you have come to Christ and you say, what if I sin again? Let me tell you, you will sin again. Wow, okay. I thought if I got saved, then I had to be sinless. No, 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 you're not sinless. Only Jesus is sinless. Hopefully you will sin less, though. You see, there's something that's changed. You will sin, and if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and you confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you become a believer, it doesn't mean you become perfect and you never sin. It means that now, but something has changed in your relationship to sin. In the past, sin was your master. You had to sin. You were a slave to sin. Sin dominated your life. Uh, sin, sin was a master over you, and you had a sin nature. Whatever nature you have, it means it, you have a predisposition towards something. Nature determines behavior. When you have a sin nature, you sin. What was crucified? It says your old self was crucified. Uh, I'm going to get into a little bit of theology here, but stick with me because this is important. It's practical theology. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to, to the, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind, and we were by, say it out loud, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You see, this is the way it works. Let me summarize how this works. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them without a sin nature. They were made in the image of God. They had a God nature inside of them. So when God made Adam and Eve, they did not have to sin. They did not have the propensity to sin. They, did, they were not slaves to sin. He created them free from a sin nature. But he also made them like himself where he gave them the power to choose. And so Adam and Eve did not live in sin. They did not continually sin like you and I struggle with sin, fight sin, resist sin. They did not have that battle. They lived in, in freedom in this paradise. And when they walked with God and talked with God, and there was no compulsion to sin, there was no drive to sin, they weren't lusting and envying and lying. They weren't selfish and proudful. They lived in a idyllic world and had a relationship. They were naked and unashamed. There was transparency in their life between them and transparency with God. They lived in this world that God had created, but they also had a choice. And one day, that foreboding day came in which they were lured into sin. 
not because they had to sin, not because they were driven to sin, but because they were tempted and lured into sin. The moment that Eve took of that fruit, many descriptions paint it as an apple, but we don't know what kind of fruit it was. Men have Adam's apple. Maybe it was a banana. And we'd have Adam's banana. Oh, we don't know what kind of fruit it was, but we know that, that Eve took of the fruit in direct disobedience to God, not because she had to, not because she was driven to, but because she was lied to and she gave in to something. She did not have a sin nature. As soon as she committed one sin, one sin, and had Adam commit that one sin, then suddenly the world changed. They were no longer free from a sin nature. Suddenly they felt shame and they covered themselves. Suddenly they started hiding and lying. Suddenly there was a propensity to sin. Their nature had changed. They no longer were free from a sin nature. They had the darkness of sin upon them. Their nature had changed. And from then on, you see murder and hatred and envy and bitterness and strife. You see bigotry. You see incest and fornication and adultery. You see darkness overshadowing their soul because now they were subject to a sin nature. And everyone born from Adam and Eve on, the sons of Adam and Eve, the daughters of Adam and Eve, we've all inherited something called the sin nature. We are not born like they were created without a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. It's passed down to us through humanity, inherited through the seed of man. So every child that's born from Adam on no one has to teach that child to sin. No one has to take a course in lying 101. You don't have to teach a baby as they grow older how to be selfish. My kids, one of the first words they learned was mine. No. You need to give that over to daddy. No. Mine. I'm like, honey... Who taught? They, they, they came out, out, out of, after your side of the family, honey, I'm saying. <laughs> That's not true. It's not her side of the family or his side of the family. It's Adam's side of the family. It's the sin nature. Every child has the sin nature. And when they're old enough, every child will sin. Every child will sin. I hate to break that to you grandparents because you think, oh, no, no, not kid. No, they sin, believe me. And they've been born with a sin nature. Now, when we're born, we're born with a sin nature. Now, we're not condemned because of our sin nature. We're condemned because of our sin. But our sin nature gives us a propensity to sin. So this is what happens when you become born again of the Spirit of God. This is what happens. This is what the Bible tells us. That when you come to Christ and you give your life to Christ, the old man, the old self, is crucified. What's crucified? Your sin nature, the old self, is crucified. So, and a new self, the spirit man, is born inside of you. Uh, you say, well, pastor, explain that a little bit uh, to me. Well, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for its righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. Listen, what he's telling us in these verses is that our old self dies the moment you come to Christ. Listen, if you gave your life to Christ and said yes to Jesus, I repent of my sins, I accept you as Lord and Savior, at that moment the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and your old man is crucified. The moment you leave this altar, you repent, believe, and are baptized, you may still sin, but you are no longer under the mastery of sin. Now you have been freed from the mastery. So you are no longer an addict. You are no longer under compulsion. You are no longer driven. Now it's your choice. Do you understand? Before you were slaves, now you're sons of God and daughters of God with a choice. Before you had to sin, now you don't have to sin. Before you were driven to sin because you had a sin nature, now you have the God nature inside of you. That drive to sin no longer dominates your life. The old man is crucified and there's a new man resurrected inside of you, the spirit man. The spirit man is like Jesus. Now, you say, well, pastor, why do I still struggle with sin then? Oh, I'm going to get there. Hold on. I want you to follow with me. Where does your new self come from? Well, here's where your new self comes from. He says in verse eight, now if we died with Christ, we, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died for sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself dead to sin. Let me tell you why you still struggle with sin. You still struggle with sin, but your old self is dead. He's crucified. That old self is on the cross. You cannot reform the old self. See, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you haven't believed, repented, and been baptized, then if you're here trying to become a better person, what you're trying to do is you're trying to reform your old self. Your old self is irreformable, if that's a word. It's like trying to domesticate a wild tiger. It may seem like he, he's domesticated, but, but, but he still has that animal wild side inside of them that can never be quite be tamed. Some people have tried to reform their old self, but they haven't crucified their old self. And they're struggling with that. You cannot reform the old self. The old self has to be crucified. And when you crucify the old self, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness, is resurrected. In Colossians 3.10, it talks about the new man. The new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
Romans 8.10 talks about that new man. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Here's what I want you to understand. When you come to Christ, your old man is crucified. You are no longer a slave to sin. Listen to me. I want you to hear me well. You do not have to sin anymore. You say, well, pastor, but I struggle. Let me tell you why you struggle. You struggle because although your old man has been crucified, you have a new man that's been resurrected, born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. When are we born? A second time. Our first birth is a physical birth. We all come out the same. There's no Prada glasses on any baby I've seen born. No, you're naked and kind of ugly in the beginning. I mean, you're cute to your parents, but I've seen a couple babies, but they're gooey and heads are a little bit out of shape. And That's the first birth. The second birth may happen when you're 15, 20, 25, 30. May happen when you're 12. The second birth is finally, you are born with a sin nature, you sin. The old man is alive inside of you. You're 25 years old and the old man is still inside of you. You're struggling with God, your sin has condemned you. You finally come to the cross and say, I'm tired, I give my life to Jesus, I repent, I believe and I'm baptized. Your old man is crucified on the cross and a new man is birthed inside of you, your spirit man. The spirit man desires to do what's good, desires to do what is of God. And now you're no longer a slave to sin, you're free to do what's right, but you still struggle because because you have not been liberated, listen, you have not been liberated from the flesh. You say, well, what is the flesh? Well, the flesh is influenced, not by the old man because he's crucified, but your flesh is still influenced by, he's been trained by the old man. You see, your old man trained you that when you're empty, you go to porn. And so now you have a new man, but your flesh is trained by the old man. And so when you get mad, you had a bad day at work, your flesh says, well, go to porn. You've always gone to porn. Just get on the computer, go to XXX, blah, blah, blah. Get on it. It'll make you feel good. And so your flesh has been trained by the old man. The old man is crucified, but your flesh has been trained. Some of you ladies, yeah, those men. There's a lot of substitutes we go to, right? Or your flesh trains you when you feel bad, you go to the refrigerator. And overindulge, I overeat. Or I go s- smoke a joint. Pastor, it relaxes me. I mean, do you want me mad? Do you want me cussing at my kids? I mean, I feel like it's, Well, God's gift to me. No, 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 it's not God's gift to you. No, 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 it's not God's gift to you. Your joy is not God's solution to your anger. No, that's fleshly thinking. 
But the flesh has trained you to operate away for 25, 30, 40 years. That's why when people live longer in the flesh, it's harder for them to break out of the flesh because their flesh has been trained by the old man, by the old man that's crucified, not by your dad, the old man that's crucified. And so here's what you have. You have the training of the old man in your flesh. You have the second thing. You have the world system. The world system out there is tempting you, is luring you, is telling your body, hey, do this, do that, is giving you temptations. The friends at your job are tempting you. The uh, programs that you watch, the radio, the, it's all around us. Temptation is all. We live in a fallen world, so there's temptation of every kind around us. So you have the imprint of the old man. You have the temptation of the world. And yes, let's not forget, you also have, thirdly, you have spiritual, you have spiritual temptation. There is a spiritual world out there. There are spirits and there is something called Lucifer or the devil that also tempts us to fall away from God. There's a spirit luring away. So even though the old man is crucified, you still live in the body of flesh and the flesh is not evil because our body is not evil. Our body is just the body. It's what houses our spirit, but our flesh is influenced by the impression of the old man. It's influenced by the world and it's influenced by the devil. Do you understand? The new man inside of you, the spirit man is trying to train you to live for God, to be godly, to put on a new life, to leave the old life behind. Uh, this is what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Now let me wrap it up with this. Number three, so how do we start living in victory? Oh, I wish you could understand this. I wish you could know that if you're born again and the spirit lives inside of you, you don't have to sin anymore. Your old man has taught you. That old crucified man, he has no power over you. But sometimes he still speaks from the crucified cross and he says, you'll never change. I trained you to live a certain way. Don't you want me back? Don't you want to do it the old way? D.L. Moody used to tell a story of an older African-American woman during the Civil War that was freed from slavery. And she talked to D.L. Moody, and, he, and, and according to D.L. Moody, she'd, she'd say, when I go back to my old master, he says I'm still a slave. But when I talk to my peers, they say, no, you've been set free, you're not a slave. When I go back to the old house, he says, no, you're still a slave. But other people tell me there's been a proclamation that's been signed by Abraham Lincoln that says, I'm free, I'm not a slave anymore. So I got one voice saying, no, no, you're still a slave. But I have someone else saying, no, 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 you're, you're free. You can live in freedom. That's a little bit how it is in our life with the old man and the new man. Jesus has set you free. There's been a proclamation, declaration. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are free to live for God. 
But that old man is still hollering from the cross. No, you're still a slave. I still own you. You still belong to me. Act like a slave. Behave like a slave. And so how many of you know you can be set free, but you can still feel very comfortable in the chains that you used to live with? You have been set free, but still your mind of slavery doesn't think you have any rights to come before God. You've been set free, but you still act like you're a slave. Some of us have been wiped free, our past cleansed, set free to do incredible things for God, but we have been so imprinted with with the power of the flesh that you still live like you're not free. You still act like you're a slave to sin. Live like you're a slave in sin. You don't take advantage of your right to come before God and have access. You still act like God is judging you by his works that you're not cleansed, washed, past, present, and future. Some of you are still living like you're unsaved when you're saved, cleansed, washed, forgiven, set free. You still act like the old man dominates you when the new man is what should be dominating your life. You have a slave mentality when you've been set free by the Son. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So how do you start living in victory? Well, he goes on in verse 12 and tells us. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Can I tell you, until you die... It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that mortality shall not inherit immortality. Until the day you die, you will struggle with sin. Why? Because you live in a body of flesh that's influenced by the world, by Satan, by the old man. When you're 89 years old, listen, you may not struggle as much as when you were 19 because by that time, well, there's a lot of things you don't struggle with anymore. But, but, but you'll still struggle. As long as you have this flesh body. That's why in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we have to release this flesh body. No one inherits the kingdom with this body. If you're born again right now, you already have eternal life. You are living part of your eternal life on earth. It may be 60, 50, 40, 70 years. The rest of your eternal life, you'll live without this body in the presence of God, free from the domination of sin. You no longer will choose to sin because you've released this body of flesh. Glorious day that will be. I feel like Paul. Paul says, I'm caught between two. Part of me wants to stay because I have so much work to do, but part of me wants to go. I'm not talking suicidal. I'm not a masochist that wants death, but I understand as a believer what death is. Death is the gateway to eternity. Death is when I shed this body. I cannot inherit the kingdom with this mortal body. The only way I inherit the kingdom is when this body's left behind and people are mourning over this body. But listen, if one day you come to this place and there is something that looks like our baptistry out here and there lies Pastor Mark, please don't say there's Pastor Mark. Say that's where Pastor Mark used to live. 
Uh, that's his old house. That's his old body. But man, Pastor Mark is dancing on streets of gold in the presence of God, enjoying his glorified state. He is where he wants to be. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments to wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God, those who have been bought, brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me close with this. He tells us what to do practically. He says, you have a choice now. Do not let sin reign. Let me ask you a question. Are you letting sin reign? Does it dominate you, master you, control you? Don't let it reign. Jesus takes the place of that. He now is Lord of your life, and you have the power to give into the spirit and not into the flesh. Then he says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Well, what's he mean by that? Literally what it says. Do not offer your lips or your mouth to sin, the words that flow out. Don't let your mouth become a carrier of gossip, hatred, bitterness. Uh, don't let it be the carrier of cuss words, of, of defamation, of negativity. Let it be the carrier of the word of God, of the goodness of God, of the praise of God. Do not offer your ears to listen to garbage. Hey, you have a choice what you listen to. You know that iPad you have? Oh, I know you like certain beats and raps. But you know, if, if half of what you're listening to is effing this and effing that and blankety blank this and blankety blank that you don't think you're offering your ears as instruments to affect your soul if what you're listening to is gangster rap that's talking about killing and shooting and blank going with this girl and that girl blah 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 or whatever it may be if the message that you're hearing in your ears is an instrument of unrighteousness don't offer it to them don't offer your eyes as instruments to unrighteousness before God. Guard what you watch. Choose what you watch. Choose what you see in your computer, the movies that you go watch, the things that you engage in. Choose what you want. Don't offer your eyes as tools to unrighteousness so they can pollute your soul or your mouth so it can pollute your soul or your ears so they can pollute your soul or your hands or your feet or any other part of your body. Do not offer them to the enemy as instruments of unrighteousness. He says, but instead, listen, offer them, offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life. Say, God, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my mind. God, it belongs to you. I offer myself as a living sacrifice, an instrument of righteousness, God. For sin shall not be your master.
is no longer your master. The chains have been broken. Addiction split in two. Things that your parents did and you have done since you were a young age that you think you can never let go of, it does not dominate you. You have the power to break out of it by the power of the resurrected Jesus. Your old man has been crucified with Christ. Start living that new man, a new woman of God. You see, what you are on the inside, if you belong to God, is already sanctified. Now you have to live it out on the outside. When God sees you, He doesn't see the old you. He sees the new you made in the image of Jesus. When God sees you, He sees you righteous and clean, washed by the blood of the Lamb. He doesn't see the old dirty you. He sees the new you. And he says, why aren't you living like who you are? Why aren't you living as a son of daughter of the king when you are? Why are you living like a slave when you're a daughter? Why do you call sin your master when Jesus is your Lord? Why do you talk like the old Jew when you have a new you? Why do you think like the old Jew when you have been given a new life in Jesus Christ? Why do you behave like you're still unborn in the flesh, under slavery, the old man, when you have been given a new person, a new name, new power to live your destiny in God, to follow obedience in God, to reflect the image of Jesus in all that you are and all that you do. That is the new you. Now embrace it in the power of God.